I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me, even though they die, will live. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Please pray with me. Dear God in heaven, we come before you this morning asking you to join us here in this place. And we know that you have kept your promise and are here. May my words now be your words. All of our thoughts, your thoughts. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. My family recently went on a long trip, and as we were returning home, driving home from Chicago after some 30 straight hours of traveling, one of the kids threw up in the car. (laughs) Now, props to the poor kid. He was on the ball enough to grab one of the airline sickness bags that we keep in our van, so we thought everything was going to be okay. Or at least, you know, well-contained. But as it turned out, the bag itself was unreliable. So there was some unfortunate leakage. We pulled over, cleaned it out as best we could with, you know, alcohol wipes and paper towels. Got ourselves the rest of the way home. And once we were home, we left the car outside, windows all the way down, and set about to clean it in an even more determined way. But as you might imagine, nothing quite worked. Even almost a week later, having left the windows open just about that whole time, there's still just that hint of that distinctive scent. And as you probably know, even just a hint is way too much. So we had to call in the big guns and spend a couple hundred dollars on one of those car detailing services. In other words, we couldn't do it ourselves. We needed help, and it worked. Seven hours later, that car was cleaner than the day we bought it, and it smells great. Now, it's tempting to draw a parallel here to our relationship with Jesus Christ. We are the van that has been defiled. We are beset by sin to the point that no amount of self-cleaning can get the stench out. We need to call in the big guns. Jesus, to really clean the nooks and crannies. But the truth is that even that deep cleaned car isn't nearly a powerful enough metaphor. Because in a sense, even though we had to engage the experts after our little incident, we got off easy. We still have our van and we're just out a few bucks and some cleaning supplies. It's just not a good enough story. So in order to make this sermon work properly, I need to tell you another one. In a season two episode of one of my favorite TV shows, Mythbusters, the hosts decide to see if there is such a thing as a car so stinky that it cannot be cleaned enough to be successfully sold. So what they do, and the squeamish should absolutely not watch this episode of Mythbusters, what they do is they seal two dead pigs inside a 1987 Corvette for two months. Now, I won't describe to you what they find 
when they come back and open up the car. Trust me, you don't want to hear about it. I'll just call it apocalyptic. (laughs) But then they set about cleaning the car. They bring in way bigger guns than we brought in to clean our van, a professional cleaning team like you wouldn't believe. But that Corvette was just too far gone. No matter what they did, they couldn't get it clean. They could not get that smell out. Now, full disclosure, they did shockingly ultimately find someone willing to buy that car, but that person was intending to tear it apart and sell it for parts. But you know what? I bet even those parts smelled like dead pig. That Corvette could not be salvaged. It was way too far gone. If someone had actually owned it, they would have needed a brand new car. And there, you have a metaphor worthy of our need for Jesus' saving grace. These two stories about stinky cars, one of which could eventually be cleaned and the other of which could not, are great contemporary illustrations, I think, of the two biblical stories we have read these last two weeks. Last week, the story of the man born blind, and this week, the story of Lazarus' death. And resurrection. Two stories, two levels of profundity. Healing the man born blind was one thing, like our stinky van. But raising Lazarus from the dead, that is a whole nother level. Well, let me tell you what I mean. When Jesus gets to Lazarus's tomb, his friend has been dead for four days. Now, you have to understand that medicine was pretty primitive back in Jesus' time. And one of the results of that was that it was actually not at all uncommon for someone to be thought dead, but in fact not. So after a while, they learned to wait a little bit before burying someone. Even as recently as the Victorian age in England, being accidentally buried alive was common enough that people would be buried with a shovel in their casket. And if you could afford it, you might have your casket outfitted with a breathing tube or a contraption that you could pull a string that would ring a bell on the surface in case you woke up to find that you'd been buried alive. This is why John makes a special note that Lazarus has been dead for four days. He wants there to be no mistaking the fact that Lazarus is actually dead. And fully dead. Indeed, later, just before Jesus, you know, spoiler alert, calls Lazarus out of the tomb, raising him from the dead, John has Martha telling Jesus, there's going to be a stench. He's been dead for four days. John wants to be clear. Lazarus is in a different place than that man born blind that we read about two chapters ago. This is not just another healing. This isn't a van with a little vomit in it. This is an 87 Corvette full of a couple of dead pigs. This is a whole nother level. John, as he writes his gospel, is systematically escalating Jesus's interaction with humankind. First, he baptizes and preaches. Then he heals the sick, and now he raises the dead. But this feels 
too far to us. You can see that it feels too far to the characters in the story. We're like Martha, who says, Lord, and Mary says it too, Lord, if you'd gotten here sooner, my brother wouldn't have died. Mary and Martha want a Jesus who was there to heal the sick because they're worried that now it's too late. They're worried that the dead can't be raised. That kind of thing doesn't happen. Mary and Martha thought that as long as they could get Jesus involved before things got too out of hand, then everything would be okay. But if the scales tipped, if Lazarus actually died, they thought with their human reason it would be too late. Jesus can, you know, maybe get a little bit of that certain smell out of the floorboards. He can heal a man born blind, sure. But when the problem is terminal, when dead pigs are involved, when what's required is a total rebuild, a resurrection, then all of a sudden we are not so sure anymore. Because, see, it comforts us to think of ourselves as like our van that just needed a thorough cleaning. We know we're not perfect. We could really use a wash and a wax. There are probably, you know, Cheerios all in the seats, crushed up granola bars in the crevices. In, in our particular car, there's the seeming never-ending parade of used Kleenex. And of course, there's that lingering smell. But nothing too serious. Nothing that DJ's detailing off of old Henry Road can't handle. One of the reasons I think that we spend so much subconscious energy cataloging people in the world who are worse than us, you ever find yourself engaged in this? Thinking about the people in your life who aren't as good as you, the guy that you know who's a way angrier father than you, or that woman in the office who's a way less conscientious worker than you, or that person who is definitely a more serious sinner than you are. The reason we spend our subconscious time doing this is so that we can convince ourselves that our situation isn't that dire. We are the slightly pukey van, not the apocalyptic pig Corvette. And when St. Paul, for instance, writes about the human condition in Romans chapter 3, we would do anything to believe that he's talking about anyone but us. I mean, listen to this. What shall we conclude then? Do we have any advantage? Not at all. For we have already made the charge that Jews and Gentiles alike are all under the power of sin. As it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who seeks God. No one who does good, not even one. Their throats are open graves. Their tongues practice deceit. The poison of vipers is on their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery mark their ways, and the way of peace they do not know. There is no fear of God before their eyes. 
There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Poison of vipers, mouths full of cursing and bitterness, feet swift to shed blood. Our contemporary illustrations fit right nicely in there, don't they? There is none righteous. They are a car full of dead pig carcasses. These people... The ones Paul is talking about don't need to be taken to DJ's detailing. They need to be completely disassembled, sold for parts. And despite your protestations to the contrary, Paul is in fact talking about you and me. Now, I get it. It hurts to be compared to something as disgusting as what you're imagining that Corvette must have been like. And let me tell you, it's worse than you are currently imagining. We don't like to hear this kind of thing. Most people come to church for a little touch-up. Help me deal with the toxic people in my life. Show me how to keep my kids on the straight and narrow. Reassure me that God loves me just the way I am. Don't ask me to change too much about myself. These are the kinds of requests that many people bring to church because we have convinced ourselves with the help of the world around us that we just need a little cleanup. I'm okay. You're okay. We're all doing just fine. And for the religiously inclined, maybe get a little contact with Jesus and he'll take the good stuff we've already got going on and capitalize on it. We're not perfect. We would probably admit that much. But surely we just need a good washing, right? And to that, Jesus says emphatically, no, absolutely not. A touch up is not going to do the trick. In fact, he goes the other way. He says that if anybody wants to be his disciple, they need to take up their cross and follow him. Now, carrying crosses isn't so common now, but back when people did carry crosses, there was only one way that walk ended. You found yourself on that cross. Jesus is saying that to be his disciple... You have to die. Like he told Nicodemus, you must be born again. And we who think we're only sick, who think that we just need a touch up, who think that God helps those who help themselves say, whoa, whoa. What is it that Paul says? Crucified with Christ? No, thank you. I only came in for a little help. I just need A little detailing. I don't need to be stripped and sold for parts. No dead pigs here. Is all of this really necessary? And the gospel truth is that, yes, it's necessary. Jesus has got something serious in mind. Because we are the car that ought to be condemned. We are that 87 Corvette. When Martha and Mary come to Jesus wishing that he could have arrived in time to save Lazarus' life, Jesus tells them, 
I am the resurrection. You are missing the point. I am the life. Those who believe in me, even though they die, will live. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. If we're honest with ourselves, Paul's description of us in Romans 3 is dead on. Ruin and misery mark our ways. We are more than sick. We are falling apart. We are a car that cannot be cleaned. But though Jesus Christ is indeed a God who heals the sick, yes, he is. He ultimately does something so much more profound than that. Here is another gospel truth. Jesus raises the dead to new life. After proclaiming himself the resurrection and the life, Jesus asks these sisters a pointed question. Do you believe this? Let me ask you the same question this morning. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. Do you believe this? As we say the words of the Nicene Creed here in a minute, I invite you to reaffirm your faith this morning or affirm it for the first time that yes, Jesus is the way. Jesus is the truth. Jesus is the life. He is the life even for people who are actually dead. This is Christ's promise to you even today. Though we are addicted to seeing ourselves as merely in need of a good, deep cleaning, Jesus sees the real problem that we are dead in trespasses and sins. We don't need to be deep cleaned. We need to be killed. To be more precise, the you who thinks you need to just be cleaned up needs to be killed. (laughs) To be even more precise, That you needs to admit that you are already dead. But this death is not the end of your story. Whoever believes in Jesus by his own promise will live even though they die. Because he is the resurrection. He is the life. And he is your resurrection and your life. An eternal, everlasting new life that is yours for free. And now, this morning, right here, he says to you what he said to those amazed at Lazarus' resurrection. I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me, even though they die, will live. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Believe it. And so believing, live forever on account of Christ's finished work for you. Amen.